So there was a there was a businessman who was walking down a busy city street. As he's walking down the street, he comes across a Native American guy. Okay, he runs into this guy, and the and the Native American stops him and he says, "Hey, do you hear the cricket?" And the businessman looks at it, this Native American guy, probably dressed in his Native American gear, in the middle of a city street, thinking this guy's either lost or he's lost it. One or the other, right? Something's happening here. And he said, no, I'm sorry, I don't hear the crickets. And he goes, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I want you to listen. Do you hear the cricket? And the businessman's trying to be nice and play along, and he's just going, man, I got things to do. I got places to go, people to see. I don't have time for this cricket craziness. And finally... The Native American steps back, he walks over somewhere over here, and he picks up a cricket that was sitting right on the edge the whole time. And the businessman looks at him and goes, how in the world did you hear that? And he goes, let me show you something, sir. He pulls some change out of his pocket, he drops it on the ground, and 20 different people stopped where they were standing or walking and looked at the change. And then he looks back at the businessman and he said, sir... You will always hear that which your life is tuned into. And then he dropped the mic and walked away. He didn't drop the mic. I had it. And then he walked away. And you go, how funny is that? But when you think about that principle, that's really good. That's really good. Because the reality is, if our lives are tuned into a bunch of random stuff and we're not paying attention to the things that matter, it is so easy to miss something that God might want us to see. And so tonight, my hope in prayer is that we might tune in and see what the Lord has to say to us. Now, we're going to cover a lot of ground tonight, so I'm going to say a lot of things, and maybe not every single thing will be directly for you, but hopefully throughout the evening as we move through this text, you might come across a few things that you go, man, the Lord, the Lord had that for me tonight. We're going to be in the book of Exodus, which we have started this journey. We're going to continue for a while. Now, last week, a lot of stuff happened. We covered a lot of ground. Man, did an incredible job. If you remember what happened, Moses has grown up, okay? Uh, he had an incident where he killed somebody. He got angry. He lost his temper. He killed somebody. Then he got scared. Then he fled. He ended up somewhere out in the wilderness. He met a girl, got married, had a kid. Then a burning bush started to talk to him, and the burning bush was God, and God told him to go back and free your people from Egypt. And here we pick up. So he's kind of having a moment here where there's a lot of things that have happened, a lot of processing. He's in the middle of this conversation with God, and God is going to now give him an opportunity to speak. See, Moses has been listening a lot. Now God's going to give him a chance to speak. And we're going to see Moses' response to this really big task of going back to Egypt and freeing his people. Now remember, who are his people? The Hebrews are his people. He was born a Hebrew, yet he grew up in an Egyptian home. His Hebrew people have been slave to Pharaoh for many, many, many years. And finally, God is going to use Moses, newsflash into the story, to go back and to take his people and to lead them out of slavery or captivity and lead them on the direction of the promised land. This is a big task. And so here's Moses. He's now 80 years old. This is a very, very different guy than who we were talking about last week. 40 plus years have passed. He's out in the wilderness. He's being a shepherd, okay? So he's not talking to a whole lot of people. His communication skills are down. His best friends are animals, okay? If that's you, we'll talk about that in another sermon on another day, okay? And so Moses is a different guy. Reality is he's retired, if you think about it. 
He's hanging out in the wilderness just ready for whatever to go ahead and end. And all of a sudden, God begins to speak to him through this burning bush. He uses a burning bush to grab his attention. Now, last week, there were a couple things that were said, and we're going to jump into chapter 4, but I want to make sure we hear this. Moses, at some point in this conversation, I don't know if it's immediately or if it's later on, but at some point, Moses is going to stop asking good questions, and I think it's after the first one, and he's going to move into trying to find excuses as to why he shouldn't go. Okay, and so that's what we're watching unfold is this conversation. And so the first thing he said back in the last chapter, which we would have covered last week, was, I am not qualified to go back and do this. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever said that before to God or maybe to yourself? Sure, there's something good out here and maybe I could do that, but I don't think I am qualified. I don't think I am equipped to be able to do this. I'm just a man or I'm just a woman or I'm just 20 or I'm still in college or fill in the blank of all the things you could use. Moses' first excuse was, I don't think I'm equipped. I don't think I'm qualified. Then a couple verses later, he says, okay, okay, okay. What, he, I added the okay, okay, okay. He said, what if they ask me what your name is? And then your man to, man to drop like a truth bomb on you on I am, and, and you just, your mind was blown. But there's something important there that we gotta catch. That's actually a pretty good question. Here's why. See, in Egypt, there were many, many gods. There were many gods of Egypt, and the Hebrew people had been around the, e the Egyptian people for so long that they knew there were so many different gods. Really, when someone was talking about a god, you had no idea who they were actually talking about. It might as well have been the TV. There were so many things that they worshipped. There were so many things that they were focused on. And so that question is actually a legitimate question. Then you remember what God said. He said, tell them that I am sent you. Powerful moment. So then he's going to move into some new stuff. Chapter 4, verse 1, here's where we begin. Then Moses, by the way, I'm a little excited because there's a lot of stuff I want to share, but I'm not going to be able to share it all, so you don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be great. Okay. That was just for me, really, but whatever. Verse 1. Then Moses answered, but behold, this guy is full of excuses, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. So what's his third excuse? What if they just don't believe me? What if that, when I tell them that God came and spoke to me through a burning bush, some of you might have a hard time believing that first off, but what if I get back and they just said, how do we know that it happened? How do we know that's true? Now this is a good question too because God has spoken to Moses, but God hasn't spoken to his people, the Hebrew people, in over 400 years years. There has not been someone that has had a legitimate conversation with God and all of a sudden Moses, who's kind of half Hebrew, half Egyptian, all of a sudden shows up and says, hey, God spoke to me. I'm going to lead you guys out of here. Let's go. He has, it's kind of a valid question when you think about it. So he says, what if, what if they just don't believe me and our good, loving, gracious God is going to help a brother out and this is going to be great. Verse 2, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff, all right? Now, can you get the picture? A staff, all right? You probably think of like some really amazing should be in a museum. It probably was just a piece of wood that he turned into a staff, all right? It's just a staff. That's kind of the point later on symbolically. Just a staff. But he says, it's a staff. What's the point? Well, this staff is going to do a lot of things. This staff's going to part the Red Sea. This staff's going to hit a rock and water's going to come out. This staff's going to do a lot of stuff. But right now, it's just a stick, God asks a question, and he says, what's in your hand? He says, just a stick. This is a powerful moment. Listen, this is kind of important. Before we go any further, you need to understand this. 
When God wants to use you, or I, or anyone, he often uses, he can do whatever he wants because he's God. He can do anything he wants. But oftentimes, he uses what's in your hand. He uses whatever talent, whatever gifting, whatever willingness, whatever challenge. We don't like that one, but that's true. Whatever challenge you're facing, God uses this. Whatever's in your hand. Now, for Moses, it was an object, and for many of us, that may be the case, but for some of us, it may be symbolic. But in the hand, little things that we may think don't have value, God can use in a mighty way. Let me show you this. We're going to scan through Scripture for just a second. You can just listen. You don't have to turn all there, but if you want to prove you're a Bible knowledge genius, then you can turn with me. Judges 3.31. Watch what happens. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anoth, who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. Do I remember talking about that verse when we did Kingdom Man? One verse, 600 people with this little thing. Are you kidding me? We go on. Maybe there was a guy named David. You might recognize him, 1 Samuel 17, 49. And David put his hand in his back, and he took out a stone and, a, and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank in his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. Remember that story, David and Goliath? What did he do? He took a stone, he took a sling, throw it, boom, took him out. Everybody was running scared. He stepped in, knocked him down. When God has something in your hand, even if it's small, he can use something big. We go on because this is fun. Genesis 15, 15, 15, 15, 15. And he found a fresh jawbone, talking about Samson, a jawbone of a donkey. He put it in his hand, he took it, and with it he struck 1,000 men. All the dudes are like, I like this message. This is good. This is manly, right? And the ladies are like, it's a little murderish. Let's calm down. All right? Here, this one's for you, ladies. You ready? John 6, 9. There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. <laughs> Did that hurt you? I'm sorry. I was just trying to be helpful. I guess I, I'm sorry. My wife does that too. I was just trying to be helpful, but it went south anyways. John 6, 9. There is a boy. He has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Do y'all remember what happened? Jesus took that and multiplied. He fed 5,000 plus. There was more than 5,000 people, but that's what's recorded. 5,000 men. His little lunchable God used in a mighty way. How cool is that? See, here's the picture. Sometimes we look at these little circumstances or we look at what we have and we go, what am I going to do? What, is God, what can God do? And we doubt God's magnificence. We doubt God's sovereignty. We doubt God's power of what he can do. And I guarantee you, just like us, Moses did the same thing when he said, uh, a staff. But we go on. Verse 3, and he said, this is, this is God speaking to him, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. This is fun, right? I was going to show the video. Have you ever seen the video of the really long snake and it, the video like pans forever? And like this is the longest snake I've ever seen. All of a sudden it jumps out of you. Yeah, I didn't do it though because I'm nice. But I was going to do it. You would never forget, I promise. You will never forget this night. It's great. I also was going to play snake sound effects, but I figured that would freak you out too. I just want you to remember it. He threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. He said that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. What happens? God says, okay, hold on. Let me show you something. Take your staff, throw it on the ground. It becomes a snake. And what does it say? Moses did what? He ran. Okay, now listen. You gotta remember the context. Moses is a what? A shepherd. 
He's been dealing with animals for 40 plus years, okay? A little snake doesn't scare him. This obviously wasn't a little snake. Now that's a little bit conjectural here. I'm, I'm adding in a little to the story. But we get the picture that a shepherd running from a snake is uh, probably a pretty big snake. Now a lot of people believe it's a cobra. You'll see why at the end. But regardless, this snake was scary. So much so that Moses, a shepherd who deals with animals all the time, saw it and he ran the other way. All right, how many of you like snakes? You're weird. I know. That's what I thought. How many of you hate snakes? We should have started there. Yeah, I, I, me too, right? It's Satan. It's the serpent. We just hate it. And God tells Moses, I want you to take your staff, throw it on the ground. And Moses is probably thinking, this is weird, but whatever. Throws it on there, and it becomes a snake. So he runs, but God says, hold on, hold on, hold on. Come back, come back, come back. Now watch what happens. This is so great. He says, I want you to put your hand and catch it by the tail. Any snake experts in the house? Let me help you. One. Typically, you don't do that, all right? If you grab a snake by the tail, now there's all kind of things that could happen, don't get me wrong, but if you grab a snake by the tail, ideally he's got a chance to whip around and take you out, okay? And it's usually going for your leg, all right? It's gonna catch an artery and you're done. So don't grab it by the tail ever. Don't say the Bible told me to do it. Don't do it. This is not a good time to follow the scriptures in this moment, all right? He says, grab it by the tail. Now what are we seeing here? What are we seeing? Moses has no idea what's gonna happen, right? He has no idea. He doesn't know if the snake's gonna bite him. He doesn't know if he's gonna die. He doesn't know if the snake may turn back to his staff, maybe. He has no idea what's gonna happen, but God has told him to do something. Now, how many of you, let's pull back for a second, put ourselves in Moses' shoes, because this isn't some story that we're reading about. This is history. This happened. If God said, I want you to know, today is your day. That snake right there, I don't want you to run from it. I want you to walk right up to it. I want you to grab it by the tail, and I want you to do it now. How many of you are going, as soon as he prays, I'm out of here. This is crazy. I don't want to be a part of this. This is ridiculous. I would never do that. I don't want anything. This is the kind of thing that God had asked Moses to do. And Moses had every right to be scared. Because listen, unlike now, they don't have snake kits. You can't just go down and get some medicine and get healed. They just didn't have that back then. If you got bit by the wrong snake, you died. What did Moses fear? He really didn't fear the snake. He feared death. He feared the result of what would happen if he got bit by the snake. Not to mention that snakes are scary too. But he's fearing death. Yet here he is standing or speaking with almighty God. And God says, I want you to reach down. I want you to grab that snake and I want you to pick it up. What did Moses learn? Well, number one, he's learning right away how to work with God even when it's an uncomfortable situation. I don't know about you, but that's an uncomfortable situation. I'm not interested but I'll do it if the Lord asks me to, but please don't. Okay, good thought. That was a joke. No one wants that job. No one wants that job. Verse six. Again, the Lord said to him, oh, let me finish. So he grabs it by the tail. He caught it, and it became what? A staff. And what did he say in verse five? That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob had appeared to you. He says, listen, when you show up and they're not sure if you're telling the truth, I want you to grab your staff, you're gonna throw it on the ground, it's gonna become a serpent, but then you're gonna reach down, you're gonna pick it up by the tail, and it's gonna become a staff, and you're gonna show them that the power of God is walking with you. Here's something really important, and you actually see this throughout most of the scriptures. God didn't show Moses his power until after he was willing to take the first step, right? God said what? Pick up the snake. He didn't tell him what was gonna happen, at least that we can tell. He didn't say it's gonna turn into staff, don't worry, it's all good. No, he just said pick up the snake. 
He needed Moses to take that first step to say, I trust you enough, even though this is crazy, I trust you. And as soon as he picked it up, it turned into his staff. Oftentimes, God's going to ask us the same thing. We see it all throughout the scriptures. He's going to ask us to take that first step. And then as we move down the path, all of a sudden we see God's power be revealed. Now, I don't want you to go grab snakes. That's not what this is about. But I want you to get the picture. As crazy as this moment is, might be just as crazy as the moment God's going to ask you to walk through. And sometimes you're going to have to take that first step before you ever get to see God's plan, before you ever get to see the power that's going to happen, the gifting he's going to give you, all that's going to come with that. Sometimes we're going to have to just take that first step and trust that the God we serve, the most powerful God, the God, is walking with us. We see that all throughout the scriptures and we saw it with Moses too. So that's miracle number one. Then verse six. Again, the Lord said to him, this is great. Put your hand inside your cloak. Basically, that means put your hand inside your shirt. All right, his cloak was this full long thing. Put your hand inside of your shirt, right up on your chest. Put it in your cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. How many of you are familiar with leprosy? Even just a little bit. All right, it's a deadly skin disease, all right, that when you got leprosy, Okay, first of all, it started small and then it spread all throughout your body and some people would die from it. Sometimes it would have its full effect and then it would eventually go away. But when you got leprosy, you were immediately outcast from whatever group, whatever camp, whatever home you were in. You were separated from everybody else because you had a disease. You were contaminated. There was something wrong with you. And that was the immediate response was you would be separated. Leprosy was no joke. In fact, in this time, uh, ancient writings tell us that they spent a lot of money, a lot of the wealth of the nation toward trying to solve this problem, and they took some of their brightest minds, they put any kind of effort they could, and they could not come up with a medical solution to leprosy. It was one of the worst things that could have happened, not only physically, but just to you emotionally because of how people would treat you as soon as that moment took place. Moses is being asked by God to go back to Egypt, to stand in front of those people and say, I need you to follow me. God's with us. He sticks his hand in his shirt because God told him to. He pulls it out and he's got a contagious skin disease. Are you seeing the crazy circumstances that's happening here? He pulls it out, and I don't think he went, oh, that's kind of cool. I wonder what's going to happen. He probably, I don't want to stick too much here, but he probably freaked out like you and I would. And then God, God goes on, because this is God. This is how he is. Verse 7, then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. Now, maybe you can't wrap your mind around leprosy. Wrap your mind around poison ivy. Has anyone had poison ivy before? Yeah? All right. Ever seen someone with it? Do you know what I'm talking about? You live in the city. What is wrong with you people? Poison ivy. It grows on a plant. It's, it's terrible. Imagine having poison ivy and you go, well, let me stick my hand on my shirt on my chest. Let's see what happens. This is the kind of moment that God's asking Moses to have. Hey, I need you to take a really big step. I want you to take that hand and put it right back where you found it. This is crazy. This makes no sense. Poor Moses. And guess what? He puts it in. Behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Verse 8, he says, if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the later sign, the latter sign. God says, hey, if the snake doesn't work, probably will, but if it doesn't, you can try this. Now, this is, this is incredible. What God is doing is equipping Moses for this moment. 
that no matter what the excuse might be, though he's full of a lot of them, no matter what the excuse might be, God's power is going to be so evident that they are not going to be able to deny it. Then he goes on. Verse 9, if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice. Now, let's pause for a minute. If I stood up in front of you, pulled out a staff, which would probably be weird in this day and age, but pulled out a staff, threw it on the ground, it turned into a snake. Then I picked it up by the tail. You're all freaking out, not only because it's a snake, but then I grabbed the tail, and you're like, no, dude, no, stop. And I grabbed my tail, it turns into a staff. Would you go, go ahead and say what you were going to say. Uh, finish your statement because I'm interested now. You got my attention. And then I say, well, if that's not enough, let me show you this. And I stick my hand in my shirt. I pull it out and I'm covered in a skin disease and you all want to run for the door. And I say, wait, 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 before you go, hold on. I stick it back in, I pull it out and my hand is completely healed. Now listen, don't forget this. It took years of the greatest minds and finances to try to find a solution. They could never find it, yet God healed it in seconds. We're talking about some power here that they've never seen or experienced before. If they were living in our time, all the scientists would have been coming over and saying, okay, what's in your skin? What's in your blood? We got to take a sample. We got to do what, is, what just happened. We've never seen this before. If I did those two signs, I would believe. But just in case they don't, he goes on. You shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Ground. Now, it, it, that's fascinating, right? It's going to take some water, pour it on the ground. It's going to turn into blood, right? This is the big one. Here's the thing. There's a couple things with this. Number one, this one hadn't happened yet. He hadn't had a chance to experience it. He's going to have to go in faith on this one. He's going to stand in front of whoever, maybe even in front of Pharaoh, and he's going to say, hey, let me show you one more thing. And, he's gonna, and it may or may not work. He doesn't know. He's going to have to go in faith. Second thing, water from the Nile when this miracle would happen, or if it happens, we don't know in the story yet, if he were to take it from the Nile, the Nile isn't just like a local river or a local lake or a local body of water. The Nile is the lifeblood of Egypt. The Nile produces how they live. The Nile was where they got their water. They lived in the desert. When uh, at high tide of the Nile, it would, the water would rush up 30 I think it was roughly 30 feet of black soil. That was the soil they would use to plant their crops. If the Nile didn't do that, they would most likely not survive or they would go through a season of famine until hopefully the next high tide might bring it in. They lived off the Nile. Someone used the example, if you ask, a, if you ask an American you know, maybe, or if you ask an outsider, Americans sometimes don't get it, no offense, but we don't. But if you ask an outsider of America, what's like the one thing when you think about America that you think about, most of them will say freedom, freedom, right? Other countries don't have the same kind of freedom that we do. We think about freedom. If you were to ask an Egyptian, they would say denial. That's the kind of connection here. They, it was the lifeblood. So when you pulled water out of the Nile and you poured it on the ground and it turned into blood, you got everyone's attention. Okay, so it may not sound like the greatest miracle to us, but this is something that would have seriously grabbed their attention if the staff and the snake and the, uh, the leprosy didn't do that first. And so he said, this is what I want you to do. And then verse 10, here comes excuse number four, his last one. But Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. After all the miraculous signs God had given to equip Moses to stand in front of these people, he still had another excuse. What was his excuse? 
I don't have good speech. Now, you may have heard that that's usually people assume that was a stutter. And I guess it could be. I don't want to debate that per se. But if you remember, there was a passage, if you don't, let me read to you, in Acts 7.22. It says, and Moses was instructed in the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and his deeds. So it could have been a stuttering thing. Very well could have been. It could have also been just 40 years being in the wilderness rather than around people in an education. And his, I mean, everyone in this room, I think, hasn't lived 40 years. So we don't even know what 40 years would do to us if we only talk to animals and maybe our wife. I don't know what it would do to you. But the reality is that's probably more realistic. But it could be stuttering, so don't go out on the internet and get everybody mad. But the reality is Moses stands up and says, look, if someone's going to lead, they got to be able to speak if they can't speak, they can't lead. Y'all remember how Hitler was so successful? Hopefully you don't remember because you weren't there. But if you remember and you studied in school, what do you remember? He was an incredible communicator. Hitler was able to lead an entire nation to rage up against a race because he articulated well and he demanded his people would follow him. A leader that can communicate is an effective leader. Moses says to God, whether it's a stuttering problem or it's the wilderness, who cares? He looks at God and says, listen, I, you, you're God, but um, I'm not a very good speaker, so I don't think this is going to work. Excuse number four. And then God says in verse 11, then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I the Lord. Who makes? God controls everything. God made you and I just how you were made, just how he wanted you. So we got to pause for a second because maybe some of you are thinking about this. Wait a minute. Are you saying God makes people mute? God makes people deaf? God makes people blind? Well, best I can tell, the answer is yes. And that doesn't sound great. And I agree. I don't really like that. But that's how God works. See, we look at challenges as obstacles to not move through, God looks at challenges as opportunity to do something different. There's a guy named uh, Nick Vujacek. Have y'all ever heard of this guy? I put the picture up there so they could see. Nick Vujacek. This guy was born without arms and legs. Have y'all ever, have y'all heard of this guy? If you haven't heard of him, you should definitely go check it out. The ministry that he's doing is incredible. This guy has no arms, no legs, okay? And he could have woke up or grown up and said, man, my life is over. I can't do anything all the other kids can do. I'm, what's God going to do with me? I don't have any arms. I can't drive. I can't play sport. I can't do anything. I'm worthless. Do you think that would have been an easy thought for him to have? Some of us have that thought with far more than he ever did. Yet this guy has chosen to follow Jesus Christ, to give him everything he has. Every day is an obstacle. Every day. Is, can you imagine just for a minute what it would be like to not have one arm or one leg? Imagine not having all four. Every moment of every day is an obstacle. To eat, you can't write. I mean, you can't walk. You can't, are you kidding me? Every day is an obstacle. Yet he chose to say, you know what? Maybe there's a plan here. I'm pretty sure he didn't like that this is how it worked out, but he said, I'm not gonna whine in a corner about all the things I don't have or all the things I can't do. Let me step up and do what I can with what I have. And, and he has started an incredible ministry. And I put this quote, there were so many of them, but I, I just thought this was great. I have the choice to be angry at God for what I don't have or be thankful for what I do. This is his wife, his kid, and his soon-to-be child. I think the child's already come now. So the next time you look in the mirror and you're going, oh, I'll just... I don't know what God's going to, what could God do with me? I mean, I'm just, 
so-and-so, this background, my parents, my... Listen, even our challenges, even our challenges are things God puts in our hands to do something incredible with. What an inspiration, right? What, what an encouragement. What a reality check for some of us that hey, maybe I'm looking at this thing incorrectly. Maybe my perspective is messed up. He also said this quote. I didn't put it up here, but I thought I'd share it. He says, if you don't receive a miracle, be one. I thought that was kind of cool. Nick. So did God make him that way? Let me be careful here and not speak for God because I, I can't speak wholeheartedly and say this, but from what I can see in the scriptures, he did. But this guy actually got it. And he said, all right, Lord, let's take this and let's turn it into a ministry and let's change the lives of people by showing them what you can do when someone latches onto God and says, I'll follow you no matter how hard it is. How cool is this? Yet here is Moses with all of these signs happening in front of him and he still got excuses. How sad. Verse 12, we're almost there. Now therefore, this is God speaking, now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Are you kidding me, Moses? I bet most of you before you got here tonight, you were like, I thought Moses guy, this is going to be good. He's a good man. Like, I know he did a lot of great things, and he did. But he started off like a chump. All right, let's just be real. Just like some of us, let's be honest, and I know for sure, like me. He started off not on the best. God gave him all of these things, and he says, please, Lord, look, I'm done with my excuses. I'm out of them. I don't got anything else to share. Just send somebody else. Here's the thing. God will. He'll send somebody else. If you are not going to do it, he'll find somebody else. Before we go there, let me show you this really quick. This is kind of cool. He said, Oh my Lord. He said in verse 10, he said it in verse 11, he said it in verse 12. The word Lord there is the word Adonai. The word Adonai is a name for God that describes God's sovereignty and God's power. Okay, now we use Lord interchangeably. In the scriptures though, he basically said, God of all sovereignty and all power, I can't do it. God of all sovereignty, you are sovereign over all. You have all power in all things. What if my speech, it hinders me? God sovereign, God powerful, God of everything. What if they don't believe me? Do you see the irony here? Right? Have you ever done that? You're probably not going to shake your head, but you probably have. God, what if, and you forget who you're speaking to. This is the God that created the universe. He even created you. This is a God that can do anything. He turned a staff into a snake and then back again. He put leprosy on a hand and then he healed it. He's done so many things all throughout the years, even in your own very life. Maybe you didn't realize it. Yet we look at all-powerful God and we're just like Moses. I know you're the God of all gods. You created everything. You control it all. But I don't know about my fill in the blank. The irony. See, here's the reality. If we don't see this, we'll continue to operate like this for the rest of our lives. If no one ever challenges with this thought, challenges us with this, we'll continue to walk in this. And guess what? Moses would have too. Look what happens. Let's, let's finish the story real quick. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. 
God had patience through all the questions slash excuses. But when Moses finally said, okay, look, 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 let's just get real, God. You got all the answers? I don't care. I need you to send somebody else. Please send somebody else. That was when God got mad. Hey, guess what God did? You know what God did? Anybody know? He sent Aaron. Not that Aaron, but maybe. He sent Aaron. Now, don't get me wrong. Moses is still going to do his job because God wasn't giving in, saying, okay, Moses, you win. I'm going to let somebody else know. He said, you're going to still go. But guess what? I'm going to send someone to be your mouthpiece because apparently that's a big deal for you. So Aaron's going to go. Aaron's going to become the high priest. You're going to miss that opportunity, yet you're still going to go, and you're still going to lead these people. And on top of that, he doesn't know this yet, but on top of that, you're going to lead them all the way to the edge, but you're not even going to lead them into the promised land. Take that. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't really say it like that. But you get the picture? Here's the deal, guys. We think we have so much power. We, we just think like, well, maybe, maybe God will use someone else. I mean, you know, and guess what? He will. He will. Now, this is dangerous, but he will, he will take you out and leave an empty spot where your chair is. And his plan's still going to move on. Why? Because he is Adonai. He is God's sovereign. He's got a plan, and that plan's going to happen. You're either on board or off board, but he's moving on. And I want you to get this tonight. I need you to get this tonight. I know this may be a little harsh, but you're going to be okay. You're, you're big boys and big girls. Listen, I want you to not miss the opportunity that God has for you because the reality is his plan's moving on. You're either on the bus or you're not. And I don't want you to look back at the end of your life and go, oh, if only I just said yes a couple of times, I might have been a part of this. And look back, and not that your life is going to be totally wasted, but I'll tell you what, you will miss the, the grand purpose of your life. And so God did. He said, all right, fine, I'm going to send Aaron. You know what happens with Aaron? Aaron does some good things. We'll talk about him later on. But Aaron also causes a lot of problems. He leads a, a, a complete worship experience over a false idol. He even at one point is going to raise up and try to raise a mutiny against Moses. The very guy God said, you see what happens when we don't let God do his thing? We go the human route. It's always more painful. Have you ever, you ever thought about that before? Like, if I would have just done what God said, it wouldn't hurt as much, right? Moses is going to have the same experience. And I'm telling you guys, listen, you will too. Now, listen, we're in this room. We're kind of young, right? We're young enough to figure this out. I'm, I'm wanting you to think about this because this is important. Our generation, mm, I shouldn't say this, but I will because I can't. We're weak. We're weak. Right? Now, don't, don't look in the mirror and be like, I'm so weak. But think about the big picture. We are weak, guys. Man, we're lazy. We're lazy. We're entitled. We want everything handed to us. Oh, my goodness, if it's not. Are you kidding me? How dare you speak to me like that, teacher? It's pathetic. And I'm talking about myself, too. I'm not, I'm not just pointing at you like, get on board. I'm the one guy that got it right. No. Our whole generation our whole generation, it's not completely messed up or over. God could do anything. And I believe there's young, but I think that's why we're here tonight. But I'm telling you, overall, we're kind of weak. We're full of excuses. We don't grow up till we're 35, 40. And even then, growing up looks a lot different than it used to. That doesn't have to be the way it is. Look, God's not looking at you going, hey, when you turn 45, let's talk. Because we're going to do something great with that life you got. No. He's saying, hey, if you're willing, I'll take you right now. I'll start prepping you now instead of at 45, and maybe you'll actually do something at 45 instead of just start the journey. I started putting my feet in the ground at 21, serving the Lord. Put my foot down and said, that's it, I'm done. I'm going to do whatever he wants me to do at 21. 
I'm so grateful for it. So I'm 31 now. I know, I look 25, don't worry about it. I'm 31, it's been 10 years. Why are you laughing at Michael? He's 41, so don't worry. That was me. <laughs> that's good. He does look good, that's true. Anyways, um, 10 years, 10 years, 10 years since, it, it, was, it was January 7th, 2007, and we're in 2007, it's been, it's been 10 years, at 21. I put my foot down and said, I'm done with this life. I'm done with the party scene. I'm done with all the junk. I'm done with all the crap. I want to do something different. I started to pursue the Lord. And I'm telling you, it was, an, it was an ugly few years at the beginning. It was ugly. But, man, I'm telling you, when you give God everything, he can start stepping in your mess. He can start calling stuff out of your life. He can start showing you areas you need to work on. Other people try to show you, just get mad at them. God shows you, just like, oh, please just help me. Like, it's amazing what can happen. Your parents have been trying to do this to you, but you're just so busy being a kid, you don't want to listen to your parents, right? When we let God do it, all, there's something kind of power that comes with that. And then you start surrounding yourself with the community and the church and all these things. For 10 years, God's been equipping and equipping and equipping. Guess what? I'm 31. Are you kidding me? You think I got it all figured out? No, I'm still the young guy here at this church. But I got 10 years experience because I decided to say yes early on. And I'm telling you, you can do that. Whatever age you are, you can do that tonight if you haven't already. And I'm not just saying put your faith in Christ. That's, that's huge. That's number one. But I'm talking about putting your foot down and saying, you know what? God, whatever you want to do, Whatever you want to do, I don't care. Just show me. I'll go. I'll take a couple steps, and I'll let your power come later because I'm just going to trust you because I'm willing to go. I want to go. Moses didn't want to go. He had no idea we'd still be talking about him years later. But we are. Now, he's going to catch up, and you can too, so don't freak out. But I'm telling you, at the beginning, he didn't do so great. He didn't do so hot. God passed on the torch. Aaron becomes the spokesperson. It's kind of like a news anchor. If you ever notice that, if you, if you know one, they actually have no say in what they, they just go like this, and people are talking in their ear, and they're just, they're just regurgitating what's said. Then that's what Aaron is. Moses is going to say everything. Moses is going to tell him what God tells Moses. Moses is going to tell Aaron. Aaron's going to go be the mouthpiece. I wouldn't want that. I don't know about you. I don't want someone to go on my behalf and do all the things that I could have done. I don't want that, and I hope that you don't too. Let me show you this real quick, and we'll be done. The snake, the leprosy, the blood. Okay, watch this. This is pretty cool. Uh, you're probably not ready for this, but I'm going to show you anyway. Because I believe in you. I believe in you. Today's your day. The snake, the leprosy, the blood. Watch this. The snake. When you think about a snake, what do you think about? Scripture, scripturally, what do you think about? It is creepy. You think about Satan, right? That's, that's the first reaction. Genesis 3, Satan came as a serpent, deceived Eve and Adam. They both fell, the world fell apart, we're still suffering from it today, all right? The snake, I don't think that's what it is, though. I think that's a part of it. Hebrews tells us that Satan has the power over us through death. What fears man most is what? Death. Number one fear in the world, death. Sometimes it, it fluctuates with some of that, but number one fear in the world is death. Because people don't know what happens. Satan has a grip on every man and every woman because of the fear of death. Not to mention the snake. Most people believe this snake was a cobra. And I'll tell you why. Because when Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh wore a lot of clothes. But one of the crowns, and, and the whole outfit, but one of the crowns he would wear actually had a cobra. I couldn't tell if it was a dead one that put it or, or symbolically, but it had a cobra on the crown that would face out. And when he put that crown on to the Egyptian people, he was considered a living God. That's the kind of power. He wore this crown when they were facing enemies. 
And so a lot of people believe it was the cobra. Why? Because it's the picture that, yes, you're afraid of Pharaoh, you're afraid of Satan and death, but I'm going to show you something. You pick that snake up by the tail when you really should, should grab it from behind the neck, but you grab it from the tail, and it's going to turn into staff because I want you to see I got power over death, and I got power over that guy Pharaoh. You have nothing to worry about. Then we go to leprosy. That disease plagued biblical times. It plagued people. It scared the fire out of them. And what happened when you had leprosy? You were separated and contaminated. Sounds like a lot of us. As sinners, what are we? Separated from God and we're seen as tainted because we serve a perfect God, yet we are imperfect. And until Jesus comes and makes us whole, makes us back and restored, we're still separated just like the leprosy. But God says, hey, listen, I want to show you something. Stick your hand in there, pull it out. You're going to see skin disease that would contaminate and separate you. But I want you to put that hand back in and pull it out, and it's going to be gone. Because I'm going to show you that I'm going to show power over all of that. I'm going to break sin apart, and I'm going to make you clean for all those who call on the name of Jesus. And then the last one, the blood. This is probably the hardest one, and this is not a theological statement. It's just a really cool symbolic of how God is in the details. He said what? Grab the water from the Nile, pour it out, and it's going to pour. When you pour it, it's going to become blood, right? Okay. Now, when you think about the Nile, when we're talking to these people, it was what? It was life to them. The Nile was life. That was where they found life and hope. You take that water out, and you pour it on the ground, it became what? Blood, right? Now, there's two ways we can look at blood. We can think about the blood in the human body that we're alive, which is, is probably the, the symbolism in this moment. We can also think, though, about what? The blood of Christ, right? Because spilt blood is the picture of sacrifice. Well, wait a minute. What did he say to do? Take the cup and pour it, spill it, spill the blood. The picture all the way back in Exodus of exactly what God was going to do through Jesus. Moses needed all of these signs to try to find some kind of encouragement and hope, and it barely worked, that he might step forward and be the deliverer of his people. Listen, Jesus became these signs, and he went and delivered all people for all eternity to all of those who call on the name of Jesus. All the way back in Exodus, we see the picture. What a marvelous thought. We serve a God that's a God of the details but we also serve a God that's a God of the opportunity. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I don't want you to freak out, all right? Just calm down, relax. Do not get on Facebook and post this. But the other day, the other day, I'm going to tie this together. The other day, I found something on my leg. I found like a, a, little, a little growth thing on my leg, and it didn't go away, and I got a little, I was like, okay, this is kind of weird. It's something I've never seen before. And so, uh, so tomorrow, I'm going to go to the doctor, and they're going to look at it, and we're going to figure out what it is. So I was looking at this, and I was, I was thinking about that, and I, and I first thought I'm, I'm a guy that doesn't really freak out about a lot of stuff, and um, the fact that I'm going to the doctor may be a sign that there's something more than normal here, but I started to think about it, and I was like, you know, I've been around this church a long time. I've seen a lot of stories where growths turn into nothing, but I've also seen a lot of stories where growths turn into something devastating. And so for a moment, I let my mind race a little bit because it was kind of fun to think about all the things that could go wrong, right? Some of you are like that. You worry worse. You just love it. Like, what's wrong? Oh, this could be, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, the world could fall apart, the door could fall, and everything could happen. I'm not that way, but for a moment, I let myself, so I started to think, okay, what if tomorrow I go to the doctor and they say, hey, actually, this is cancerous, and we can't do anything about that. And so you either have five days or five years or 50 years, but we can't do anything about that. And I started to think about that, and I go, well, that's kind of scary. And then I thought about, okay, maybe it's not they're going to kill me, but 
maybe I'm going to go through a really bad season of having to do whatever kind of treatments. I don't even know. I don't know. Uh, kind of treatments and stuff, and they're going to have to work it all out. And, and then maybe it will be gone, and, and maybe, maybe that will not be good either. And then I went really crazy, even crazier than death. And I thought, what if they got to amputate my leg? Like, what if they can't contain it and it's going to keep, so they got to just cut it off? And I'm going, okay, that's kind of, that's kind of scary. So I, sat, I was sitting there for a minute, and I was like, okay, Lord, I don't think you want to use this in the message. So, um, you know, what's, what's going on? I started thinking about it, and here's what happened. This is so cool. I started thinking about this. And listen, don't freak out, all right? It's all good. Uh, nothing's going to happen. But for a moment, let's just run our minds for a second. I started thinking about this, and I said, okay, if I will go backwards. If I lost my leg, I'm all right. I can still talk. If I lost my tongue, it might be a different story. You know, y'all might be happy, but I won't be because this is what I do, right? But if I lose my leg, I'm good. I can still talk. I can still work out. I never have to run again. It's going to be great, right? Half-price shoes. I mean, it's going to be awesome. But <laughs> think about it. So I'm like, I'm good. I, I, can, I can make that work. And then I thought about, okay, what if I have to go through that season of, you know, like they're going to have to do treatments and whatever, radiology, whatever things it might be. And I thought, man, that wouldn't be good, but... What a testimony, right? I think about Nick, and I'm like, he's got no, I'm, I'm good. Whatever you need to do, Lord, just do it. It's cool. What a cool season, right? What, what a season. Is it fun? No. Do we want it? No. But it would be an opportunity to, to show people what God can do when we put our trust in him, even in the darkest moments. And then I got to the last one, and I was like, okay, if I died, okay, that's kind of a big deal. I'm not going to die. Relax. But I thought about it, and I'm going to be honest with you. Other than the thought of my daughter having to grow up without a dad and our second kid, or a girl we don't know, probably a boy, but that's okay, having to grow up without a dad and my wife having to go through the rest of her life without a husband, I started to think about it, and I'm going to tell you something. There was this rush that came over me, and it was amazing because I can tell you this without a doubt. Though I've not been perfect in any way, shape, or form, I have absolutely no regrets. I have given the Lord to this moment in my life everything that I have and there's there's nothing else that I could have there's nothing else I could give. And so if if the time comes tomorrow, you know what? I, I don't want it. I'm not asking for it, please. But it's all good. You know why? Because I didn't say no. Because I said yes. A 21 with no degree, no ministry experience, no ability to do anything but make people angry is what seemed to happen the most. I mean, I had nothing, and God said, if you'll just say yes, I will do something with this pile of nothing, and I'll maybe turn it into something great. And 10 years later, we're still working and chiseling away. But I can tell you this, I've given him everything that I have. I got nothing to worry about. I have nothing to regret. No, life hasn't been perfect. Don't miss that. But I have given everything. So if it's the day, it's the day. Praise the Lord. I'm going, don't, don't cry for me. I'll be in a better place. Why would I tell you that morbid story? Because I don't know what your story will be. And I don't know if tomorrow could be your last day or you may have 50 more. I don't want you to look back and say, I could have done that. But God had to give it to somebody else because I just wasn't willing to say yes. This world we live in, as dark it is, as sick as it is, it needs not older people, it needs them too, but it needs younger people willing to say yes to Jesus so he could train us up so that we might make an impact in the world. Now we know Moses is going to turn it around later on, but right now he's probably sitting right where a lot of us are sitting.
We might not even realize it, but we got a bunch of excuses and a bunch of reasons why we can't. And God's saying, listen, you just take a few steps, and I'll let my power reveal itself. And, I will t- and I'm telling you, guys, listen, the first lesson that I ever taught was the worst thing you've ever heard in all of Christianity. But God said, you stay, and I will do an incredible work, as many would say. Because something, it is, it is all about just saying yes. Moses had to take that step or that grab not knowing what would happen, and then he watched God's power move. Don't think you're too young or an unqualified or all of that. God can still do something. He wants to do something incredible in you. If nothing else gets said from me but that to you, I'm okay with that because that could be the most important thing you ever hear. For those of you already on the path, just be encouraged and you keep chugging along. I'm telling you, over the last 10 years, there's been many moments when I was like, oh, I don't know if this is worth it. I think, I, uh, I think I'm gonna try something different. This is crazy. Not even just in ministry, but just in the Christian life. Like everybody, It's just so easy for everybody else to do whatever they want. I gotta work so hard. I'm telling you, you hang in there because God can do something incredible. He will. He wants to. And remember, incredible is not always big. Moses is gonna lead two million plus people. That's not what he may, may call every one of us to do. But it's the little things that count because we serve a God of the details. And I need you to believe that tonight. It's really important.